0: Hi everyone, it's Peter. I'm about to read the Bible to you. The passage today is the Gospel of John, John chapter 18 verses 1 to 40. I'll just give you a moment to find that on your, in your Bibles or on your electronic devices if you have them. John 18 verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Jesus, Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some of the officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all, all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "Who is it you want. Jesus, Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep them warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, a high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him on the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus to Caiaphas, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising.
1: My name's Luke Dahlenberg. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church, Golden Grove, and I'm so glad that you are online with us today to open God's Word as the family of Jesus. I just want you to know that I miss you. It's been a few weeks since I've seen you face to face. But please know that I'm praying for you all, for your families at this time, for the many new challenges that this season of life is bringing I'm also imagining that you're sitting here in front of me today as we open God's word and as I speak to you. You know, one of the things that I've been uh, really uh, has really been apparent to me over the last few weeks is the idea of control. You know, losing control is never a good feeling, is it? There's a certain level of control that each one of us wants to maintain. Some of us are more relaxed about control than others. You might say you're a control freak or that you don't really mind, but none of us want to lose a level of control we do have. For the first time in our lives, we are finding we losing, we are losing control in our society. With orders to stay at home, to self-isolate, to be physically distant from others. With grocery stores being stripped bare, we don't have the freedom and control we did in January of this year. Many of you are struggling with the loss of control through work. Your hours are cut. Or, they've just blown out into humongous weeks. With so much, with no, so with no way to sustain that long term. Some of you have so much uh, so much time on your hands, and you didn't choose that either. You know, and as best as our government can, they are trying to carve out a plan because they want to get control of the situation. All governments are in the world. The wonderful, hard-working health professionals and scientists are trying to get control over human bodies and the virus. You know, and even if you're doing reasonably okay in all this, we're faced with one of the most painful emotions we feel in a secular Western world, and that's this idea, it's a sh- with the shock and surprise, that we are actually suffering and losing control. Oh, we we're surprised by all this. We're, we're discovering every day that this "she'll be right" attitude that Australia has isn't as concrete as we once hoped, is it? It feels like with the virus and the way things are, a shark swimming in the water, and there's no way to escape. We can't go to a different country. There's no quick solution. There's no medicine. We just kind of hope we don't get bitten. We just want control back. You know, if you're a Christian or if you're thinking about who Jesus is and the claims he makes, often we can say something like, God won't let bad things happen to us we can't handle, right? But you see, Jesus disproves that idea. Because if God allowed Jesus to suffer terribly as the perfect God-man, then why should we imagine that suffering beyond anything we can cope with should not come to us? But you see, it's exactly the cross of Jesus where he suffered that we find truth and hope. We need to face the hard things in life with his grace because we can't handle all that happens to us in life. Maybe you're very aware of that. But the cross of Jesus shows us that he can and his grace is there for us. And not only that, he has control over the situation because he's king. He rose from the dead and he's reigning, still reigning right now, even today, King Jesus reigns. And this morning, I want to gently encourage us all, myself included, that Jesus is still in control to remind us of the reassuring truth that Jesus is King and to show us just what Jesus did with his control and his kingship while on earth, that he actually willingly let himself go to the cross for you and me at the hands of angry, sinful people, which of course challenges us to consider this morning, this week, today. Are we resting in the reassuring truth that Jesus is King? This is going to be the first in a four-week series through Easter called This Is Not The End. And we're going to start in John 18, go through to chapter 21. And we start this week by looking at the reason it's not the end. Why is it not the end? Because Jesus is in control. So first thing, let's look and, and find out. You can follow along the order uh, online, the notes section. Uh, is Jesus really in control? Is it actually true? Is that, a fair, is that a fair claim to make? Is that a statement that can be backed up with uh, what we find in the Bible. So we meet Jesus in a garden, John chapter 18. He's finished praying, having a meal with his friends, and they travel to a known place. Notice in verse 1, Jesus is the one that leads them here. Peter does not think, oh, I should get some fresh air. Let's go and, and kind of, come on, guys, let's go to the garden. No, no, Jesus purposely goes and he's about to meet Judas along with a host of guards carrying weapons to arrest him. Jesus knows what's going to happen to him, Because John, the writer of this book of the Bible, adds an editorial note for us in verse 4, saying, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus speaks to the soldiers here, and notice that he went out to them. He didn't run away. He didn't bargain. He didn't bribe. He didn't hide. As Adam hid in a garden long ago because he sinned, so now Jesus, the perfect sinless man, boldly goes out to face sin and evil head on in another garden. But Jesus' knowing is not a general idea of knowing what's going to happen, like when you have a general idea what's going to take place because you've got a calendar and a plan of your day. This is a specific knowledge of all that's going to take place. And then we see Peter in verse 10. Oh, Peter, he's shocked by what happens. He realizes that Jesus hasn't done wrong in any way, and he wants to defend his friend, take control back of the situation, and so he grabs a small sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, the right ear of the servant. And Peter, it was clumsy, really. It was a pointless blow. Because the way of Jesus is not by force or killing, but by himself being pierced and killed, having his body ripped apart. Peter's use of the sword denies the very purpose of Jesus. As Jesus tells him in verse 11, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? To which the answer is yes. Yes, you shall, Jesus. Only you can drink that. As in no other body, no other scars, no other wounds, no other blood, no other person can do what Jesus is about to do. Notice that Jesus' perspective at this moment is very interesting. Death, death is threatening him. He's been betrayed by a close friend. There's been an altercation, a physical fight. Jesus had to heal the man's ear, we read in Luke, Luke's account of this. Yet the injustice that Jesus feels is not the circumstances happening to him. Rather, he knows that justice wouldn't be done if he couldn't drink from the cup the Father has given to him. His death was not the end, but the beginning. Just seconds, moments before he dies, in fact, in John 19, he says, it's finished. This is not the cry of a martyr being persecuted for their faith. This is not fatalism as Jesus have just given up any hope and kind of says, well, this is what it is. He has said many times in, in John's gospel that he was to go to Jerusalem to be beaten and then killed because this was the very purpose he came to accomplish. This is not a tragic end to his life here. He's looking forward to a mission he was about to fulfill. And it has something to do with a cup. Now, this cup, it's a picture from the Old Testament of how God's wrath and God's anger at his sinful, rebellious, evil people, quite frankly, fills up slowly like liquid in a cup. It fills up measured, slow, until it becomes full. And then when it's full, it's poured out as justice is done. Psalm 75 verse 8 says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. You know, we need justice in the world. We long for justice. Justice is a good thing. But you know, if there is a judge of the world, and that's then that's good. But the question then is, what hope is there for us? And so what we see in Jesus is the judge of the world coming, not with a sword, Peter, I'm thinking of you here, but with nails in his hands. Not to bring judgment, but to bear our... Judgment, and so it is a shocking turn of events. It's not you and me who are going to drink this cup anymore, but it's Jesus Himself. Paul, writing and reflecting on what Jesus did for us in Romans eight thirty two, says, "God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all." And so, so Jesus is then willingly led away to Annas and Caiaphas. He goes here first. Annas is like a high priest emeritus; he has influence. And this is one of the first stops now Jesus has to make on the way to the cross. But just notice in these 14 verses, once through an editorial remark and once on the lips of Jesus himself, we're reminded, so we're reminded twice, that Jesus is in control. Verse 4 and 11. Because you see there's another character at work here. Behind the scenes to this stands the author God, who has now written himself into the pages of human history as a man, who came into his broken world who knows the very depths of how evil and selfish humanity can be, who has not just seen us from a distance, but who is about to taste evil himself. And in all of this, it looks like Jesus is the one person who should be filled with fear and panic for his loss of control. And while all others are wrestling for control, Jesus is the one person who has complete control. Jesus is in control, but how is he in control? And that's our next point. Point two, how is Jesus in control? Well, I want to argue that he is king. It looks like a random, violent, devious circumstance at play here. The human actors think it's their own play that they're writing, their own script that they're feeling, but actually God knows what's happening, and in a way that they can't see or yet fully realize God is directing it to his appointed means. Every character makes a real decision. They are responsible for their actions, of course. But sitting above this is God. And so our narrative for us continues in verse 15. And we have this wonderful moment, three times of dancing between Peter, uh, wrestling with what's happening, and then Jesus on trial and how Jesus uh, handles that. And whatever else we could say about Peter here, um, the fact that Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times at this moment, before the rooster makes any noise shows again his control that Jesus has over the situation. But notice that in all of this, as it's being experienced in the moment for Peter and the disciples in this moment, it doesn't feel like Jesus was in control. It didn't look like Jesus was in control, did it? One ABC journalist recently said, with the fires and the floods and now the coronavirus, 2020 is the year that God forgot. It's not true, but it certainly can feel like it, right? Life's a little apocalyptic right now. And maybe God has forgotten us. You know, God's absence makes us feel uncomfortable. And this side of eternity, it's a real experience. But the hope Jesus gives us is actually built for times like this. The hope Jesus secures isn't temporary, but it's invincible because he rose from the dead after he went to the cross. And his grace and the hope he gives us is what restored Peter after Peter denied Jesus And so while Peter's wrestling with the situation, we find Jesus being questioned about his teaching in verse 19. He replies, A trial like this in the middle of the night, designed to only find him guilty, having could actually, guys, as if he says, this isn't the time or place to explain three years of parables, because actually you're just not in the mood to listen. Eventually, in verse 28, they lead Jesus to the Romans for their part in this too. They've decided that Jesus is worthy of death long before he got to here. They just need Pilate to rubber stamp the uh, the authority to do it. They're going to use the system to their advantage. They bring Jesus before Pilate and they say, as if they're saying to him, look, Pilate, we've done the hard work just just to prove it. It's early morning. Come on. Let's be done with it before lunch. Let's kill him. Get it over with. We can go back to our lives. You consistently, in John's gospel, the Jewish leaders, they seem frustrated with Jesus, unsure about what to do with him and the claims that he makes. He doesn't fit their mold. He seems to question their entire system of life. So who's in control? But again, John adds another remark to help us see who's really in control here. It's not the Jews, it's not the Romans. Verse 32. All of this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. John's concern is to help us see again that Jesus' death is actually God's purpose and plan for him. Jesus is in control, even as he faces the one person who can let him go, Pilate. So Pilate has a chat with Jesus. He asks why he's in front of him, to which Jesus says, Very strangely, that his kingdom isn't of this world. That is, Jesus' rule and reign isn't about borders or land. It's about lives. It's not about defending him with an army, but our king conquering sin and evil by letting it conquer him. Not only that, his purpose in verse 37 is to be a witness to the truth. John's not talking about intellectual knowledge here, but the truth of Jesus as the Son of God, as the king. Again, We have another reference to the purpose of what is happening behind all this. You know, no other person in Jesus' position would have, would have, nor could have said what he said here to Pilate. Jesus is the one in control because he is the true king. But if this is true, that Jesus has come to testify about the truth and that everyone on the side of truth listens to him, and this is also a message we don't want to hear, this is our third point. You know what we don't want to hear is the fact that Jesus is not a threat to Rome or the Jews. It's much worse than that. He's a threat to you and me, to each individual, because for Jesus to be king, a king that isn't of this world, means the truth uh, I struggle to grasp that's pointy is that I'm not my own king. Our culture tells us we, we don't just have the power to discover truth anymore, we actually have the power to create our own truth. And this is where the Christian narrative, the Christian story, the Christian message, gospel seems crazy in the odds with the world because we are claiming that we are actually going to find life and truth by being dependent upon someone else, not by finding it or creating it. You see, submitting to the ruler of, to the rule, to the right rule, sorry, or authority, it actually can bring all sorts of good freedoms. A good boss, for example. A loving spouse. And so if we can see that, how much more liberating will it be to submit to the true king of our souls? And that's what we don't want to hear. Everyone on the side of truth listens to him. He is truth. Do you know the statistics for what uh, we trust online is, is quite low because of how much fake news is out there? We're very cautious about what we see on the internet, which is rightly so, but you know that the flip side is that we can always find an echo chamber online. We can always find a voice that affirms me But you know, truth sometimes hurts. You know, an echo chamber validates you, but the truth often makes you humble. You can see Pilate wrestling with truth uh, in verse 37. He says, you're king. And then in reply, Jesus' uh, Jesus' statement, Pilate says in verse 38, well, what is truth? But notice what Pilate does after asking the question. What is truth? He leaves. (laughs) Did you see it? He went out. He didn't wait for a reply. Earlier, Jesus went out to testify to the truth, right? Pilate goes out not wanting to side with the truth. He doesn't want to hear the answer Jesus gives. And so for Pilate, for you and me, often fake news is just better once again than the truth. In a world flooded with illusions, Jesus offers us the one true God, a life of truth that sets us free. And that's what we don't want to hear like Pilate. Jesus, as king, claims sovereignty over you, His borders are open. He's going to the cross to repatriate you back into his kingdom. And you don't, I don't like that. Because Jesus as a king cannot have any lesser position. Abraham Kuyper, a 19th century Dutch prime minister, he was a theologian. He famously said these words, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! How do you feel about that claim? Threatened? confronted, curious, free, or happy. See, we have a king who knows what he's doing. He's not reacting or making it up as he goes along. He came to drink from the cup of our sin and rebellion. We have a king who walks into death in control because he did this to testify to the truth that there is a God and there is a Savior in the name of Jesus. And we find confidence in the face of uncertainty of today, of an insecure world around us because King Jesus came into our world to reveal to us we are in control and to offer us his kingship and his rule. In all the chaos, there is the calm presence of Jesus. He steps in our place to right the wrongs, to redeem a people for himself, and that is what you need. The reassurance that Jesus is in control as the king. What do you and me need as we go into our week this week and to the next week and the next month, the next year? Reassurance. More than ever, that King Jesus is still in control. There's so many characters in John 18. It's interesting you could study them all and look at how they relate to Jesus in some way and what they see of him and what they say. But you know, if you're honest, I think we can all identify with each one of them at some point in our life. Maybe not today with all of them, but I'm sure that you, like me, I've denied Jesus more times than three. I've sold him for less than 30 pieces of silver. I have I have been ready to follow Jesus at times, but then often rejected him in a moment of fear or uncertainty because of where a conversation may go or my reputation may be uh lost. We too often have questions, uh, looking looking at his claims but not liking what he actually says like the, the religious leaders. We look to judge him with our inner lawyer like the Jews did. Like Pilate to argue against the Son of God over his rule in our life. You know, we often think and ask Jesus deep questions. Like Pilate did, wondering about truth, God's existence, and rule over our life in this world. Not understanding the humiliation that God went through to dethrone us and rule over us, and how great this is the way of the cross, not an intellectual pursuit or higher thinking. Rene Descartes, I think I said that right, he may have said, I think, therefore I am, but Jesus is I am, therefore we live. And we too are like Pilate, anxious to avoid wholehearted commitment to Jesus, dancing between his death, let him go free, Is he going to reign over me? And so the reassurance we need, no matter where we find ourselves in this life, is in repentance before King Jesus. The truth that Jesus came to reveal to us is that he is king and we are not. And so what would it look like to repent and bring your life into alignment with him today? You can face the week ahead with the assurance that Jesus is your king. Jesus is on the throne I read this week someone said that neither Satan nor sin nor sickness nor sabotage is stronger than Jesus. You know, he's never backed into a corner. He's never forced to tolerate what he does not will. He is in control. And so what would it look like for you to rest in the reassuring truth that Jesus is king? In all the chaos and all the calamity, is this the assurance that you will have this week? Because it can be. It can be yours. I'm mindful of Romans eight. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, not even social isolation, not even COVID-19. We have a God who went to the cross to reassure us that He is in control even in the darkest times we may face. Let's pray. Now, Father God, You are in control in ways we cannot imagine or fathom, you are the sovereign ruler over our life. And we know that because Jesus was rejected and Jesus took upon your cup of wrath and anger at our sin and rebellion, we have hope in those times that you are a good sovereign Lord leading us, ruling over us. And you you come into our life to dethrone us with your grace so that we can be in your kingdom and have the assurance that you are a king and you've got our backs. Father, may we say with joy over every square inch of our life that you are the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that is so good and timely for us these, in this life that we find. Guide us this week to know you, to grow closer to you as our king. Help us to trust you daily for all we need. In your name we pray these wonderful truths. Amen.